0: Well, we're continuing our study in James. We've made it to James chapter 2, and this morning we're going to be reading uh, the first 13 verses of James chapter 2. And since it is uh, God's Word, I would ask you if you are able, please, to stand together with us as we read. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, You stand there or, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among, yourself, uh, among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, you are not doing right. Uh, you, you are doing right, excuse me. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he, sa- for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not co- commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thus, far the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Now, I'm sure I've told you the story before, but I'm, I'm going to tell it to you again um, about the. Uh, um, children's Sunday school class and the teacher's up talking to the class and she's uh, asking them questions looking for answers and she says okay what is uh, uh, the, the creature lives up in the trees and he's real furry got a great big bushy tail and he eats uh, acorns and uh, the uh, uh, different kinds of nuts and stuff what what creature is that it's silent no response nobody says anything She says, y'all know that he lives in the trees. We can see him right outside there. And she says, Johnny, why don't you answer for us? I know you know what it is. So he says, well, well, ma'am, teacher, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. Well, we we know what a squirrel is, right? I mean, uh, you can go outside here maybe after the service this morning, you might see them playing around out there, uh, going around eating uh, the pecans that are up in the trees or maybe some acorns in the uh, uh, oak trees right out front there. We, we know what a squirrel looks like. Uh, he is uh, uh, furry with a bushy tail, and lives in trees and they eat the nuts and acorns and stuff. Now when when you, you're teaching your children these things when they're real young, you, you give them these characteristics of it and say you know that's a squirrel and you have different pictures of different animals and point out which one's a squirrel and they point it out or or maybe you're you're walking with them uh, outside and they see a squirrel and they go squirrel and you go great that's right you know there are certain things that you look at and you go okay that that is a squirrel but I want you to know that. If you happen to yourself go crawl up in a tree, climb a tree, and if you yourself decide to eat some pecans, that's not going to make you a squirrel. You're not a squirrel simply because you climb a tree or eat nuts. That doesn't make you a squirrel. A squirrel does those things because he is a squirrel, okay? I'm getting to a point here, okay? we can look at it and say that's a squirrel, but his characteristics and the things that he does doesn't make him a squirrel. He does those things because he is a squirrel. James as he's writing this letter is not trying to tell us we do certain acts of the law and then that will make you a Christian. So many people uh, will think, well, you've got to do this and this and this, and if you will do all these things, then you will be a Christian. If you will obey the law, then you will be a Christian. But that's not what James is saying. He's saying, because you are a Christian, these characteristics should naturally be there. And so I want you to see that here in in verse 1. And... The, the first point in your outline there says indicative versus imperative. Now these are, these are uh, grammatical terms uh, about different types of words. Uh, the indicative is a word which is a, a, a states an objective fact. Okay? It states an objective fact. That is a squirrel, right? And James here, he begins with the fact that we are believers. We are Christians. He says, my brothers. First of all, my brothers. You are a brother of mine. And, uh, and then he goes on, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's all indicative. That's saying, you are a Christian. You're a brother. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, that, that has happened because we believe in Jesus. We put put our trust in Him. We recognize that His payment on the cross was payment for our sins. There is no other uh, way to have access to God. We see it every first Sunday when we have communion here. We're reminded that it was Christ's work and not our work. It was His righteousness, not our righteousness, that gives us access to the Father. And it is because of His work that we are children of God. Right? It's not because of anything that we do. And so he starts with the indicative. This is what you are. You are a Christian. You are a brother. You are a believer in the glory in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Then he moves on to the next thing. The next thing is an imperative. Now, an imperative is a law. It is a command. It is, a, it is saying, this is what you should do. Okay, so he starts with the indicative. This is what you are. Now, this is the way you behave. What's he tell us about because you are a believer, because the indicative, because you are a a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a child of his, you're a brother of, of all other believers, brothers and sisters of all the other believers, what do you need to do? Or in this case, not do. He says, don't show favoritism. That's the imperative. Now, he's not saying don't show favoritism so that you can become a Christian. He's saying because you are a Christian, don't show favoritism. Um, it is real interesting that, and, and, and this is so important that we get this right, especially as you go through the book of James or you're going to have a, a laws-based uh, uh, righteousness before God. You say you got to do this, and, and that's not the way it is. It's interesting that when the law is given in Exodus chapter twenty, what is already taking place when God finally gives the law, the Ten Commandments, as you read through Exodus, you start with the people in captivity. They cry out to God, and uh, uh, He sends them Moses. You know, as their deliverer, and Moses uh, through you know all these uh, miraculous things that happen, uh, and it ends with the uh, with the Passover and the death of the firstborn the people are delivered and God brings them out and he says you are my people i will be my god i will be your god and you will be my people god has already determined that he shows them coming out and there in the very beginning of their wilderness wanderings here what happens in exodus 20 god's already said you are my people brings them out and says now because you're my people, and I delivered you from slavery, I brought you a new life and all this freedom, here's the law. This is what you do. As my children, this is what you're supposed to do. Okay? That's the way it always happens. It's the way it always is. And so if we're going to say you've got to do these things in order to be a Christian, that's just that's all mixed up. But if you are a Christian, these are things that you ought to do. Okay? And so that's the, uh, he begins here with the indicative. You are this, and then the imperative. Because you are this, this is the way you are to behave. Then he gives an illustration of what he's talking about, here in verses 2 through 4. If you're looking on your outline, this is the second point. Okay, This is the illustration. Uh, verses 2 through 4. Suppose a man comes in to to your meetings wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Uh, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What's the illustration he's using? He's he's using an illustration of how you would do it even in your meetings. Um, I I think churches at times are are guilty of this as well, especially um, not so long ago, uh, there were, uh, within church growth movement uh, uh, groups, one of the things they want you to do is target an audience. And you say, this is the type of people we want in our church. And so you target those type of people. You say, well, they're from the ages. We want people, you know, families uh, where their ages, uh, the, the parents' ages, maybe, you know, late 20s through 30s, maybe early 40s. We can accept them too. And we don't mind other people coming, but that's what we're looking for, right? We're, we're looking for those families with, with two children and uh, you, know, all, all the, you, fit the, you fit the target group. Uh, churches so often do that. Well, what happens when those types come into your church and then an older couple, maybe they've retired, moved into your, your community, and, and they come in, well, they're not shown the same attention. We want that target uh, group. We tend to show favoritism, I think, in that way in churches. And I think that in many churches we still show favoritism over what we perceive to be someone who has a lot of wealth over someone who doesn't. Um, Sadly, I think there are still some places where um, the color of one's skin might uh, have a showing favoritism uh, to someone over others. Maybe their nationality, maybe English isn't their first language. I understand the difficulties with that, but we should not show favoritism because of that. Maybe, uh, maybe someone who's is, is popular in the community comes in, and, and we're going to show favoritism towards them. James is, is telling us, no, we, we don't do that. We are to treat all of them the same. Um, we're not to get a target audience in which we're going to show more favoritism towards them. And he mentions specifically here the rich over the poor.
1: And then he gives us
0: uh, two reasons for this. We've gone to the third point here. Two reasons. Um, and we see the first reason in verse 5 through 7. Listen to this. Uh, listen, to your brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised uh, those who love Him? But you insulted the poor. Um, it is not the rich. Uh, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of Him to whom you belong? reason I think he's giving in, in this place, uh, especially uh, in verse 5 you see favoritism contradicts faith the favoritism showing favor over the, the wealthy uh, contradicts faith um, if you're looking at someone and saying this is the type of person we need here because their money can sure help us right? That's contradicting faith, is it not? I mean, it's hard to really have faith at times when in in God when our faith is really more in money. If we're trusting in the things of this world to and and, and the material gained, we're not trusting in God as we should. Um and so he, he's saying here, you know what? God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. They're not trusting in their wealth. And they shouldn't be. They don't have it. And so they have to look to God and say, God, you will provide. They look to the Sermon on the Mountain where, where uh, Jesus says, "You know, consider the, the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. They don't labor or spin or store away in barns. And yet, they have everything they need, right? God has taken care of them. And um, so there, there's where the faith comes in. He says, uh, and Jesus goes on to say, well, not God uh, also provide for you, oh, you of little faith. <laughs> it's an opportunity to express a great deal of faith when there is you know, not always that money that is there. Remember the rich young ruler wanting to follow Jesus and he comes to him and says, I've done all these things. I've obeyed the law since I was young. And Jesus says, okay, you've got one more thing to do. Go and, and sell everything that you have. Take the money, give it to the poor, and then you can come follow me. He wasn't able to do it. He wasn't able to say, I can trust you with that. I can put my faith in you totally and completely. I don't have to have all these other things because I know that you will provide for me all that I have need of. He uh, He's not able to do it. He's not able to do it. So where was his faith? His faith and his trust is really more in his wealth. Wealth leads one to become poor in faith, I think, because we're putting our trust in that and those material things rather than in the Lord, Jesus tells us not to put our uh, wealth in, in things that uh, rust and and the fire can destroy and the thieves break in and steal. Don't be putting your your your, your faith in those things. Those things can be taken away from you. <laughs> but faith in Christ, that's where you're to put your trust. Continue to trust in Him to provide for all all of your needs. He goes on here and mentioning the fact that uh, the the ones that you're showing favoritism to here, they're the ones who are pulling you into court. They're dragging you into court. And so if you're showing favoritism to them, what you're doing is agreeing that it's okay for them to do that. We're not to show favoritism like that. And the second reason the second reason, the first one is that faith contrad, or favoritism contradicts faith. If you're showing favoritism to the wealthy, it contradicts your faith. Right? The second reason he gives here for us not to show favoritism is, uh, is in verses 8 through 13, where he's talking about the law. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin, and you're convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. For Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. You're breaking, if you break the law at one point, you're breaking the whole thing. favoritism breaks the law that the people of God are supposed to follow. And if you're breaking it at one point, you're breaking all the law. That's what he's saying. We could go back to the law of Deuteronomy 16. Verse 19 says, You shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. The law of God given to his people Now remember, as we talked about last week, what the law of God is. The law of God looks like God. If you want to know what God looks like, look at His law. This is the way that God behaves. God is always righteous. He always does what is is good and right. And when He gives us this law, He's saying, this is what I look like. Now, i created you as my image. That means that's what you're supposed to look like. This is what you're supposed to do here. And so, so we read from Deuteronomy after, uh, where God tells us not to show favoritism, not to be partial. But we read about God in Deuteronomy, verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 18. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. What's God like? doesn't show partiality doesn't accept bribes. Therefore, because this is what God looks like, this is what we're supposed to look like. <clears throat> Someone who said that partiality is an issue for James because God's righteousness is an issue for James. God does not show partiality, therefore we must not show partiality. You want to live as the true image of God? You want to live and and show what God looks like and in in your life be living what God looks like? Which we should be. We don't show partiality. Again, someone who said, since we are children of God, we ought to act like God acts. And He's impartial. And we should be impartial. Well, you want to know what a Christian looks like. We've seen in James uh, some different things. He's uh, told us that, uh, that in, in the midst of trials, um, we're to consider it pure joy, and recognize God is still in control. Um, we're told that uh, uh, it, it is better to, uh, to listen to the Word of God and do the things than just listening, but we ought to do the Word of God. And uh, here again... Uh, he shows us this morning more about what it means to look like a child of God, to look like a Christian. It's easy to recognize a squirrel and what they look like and what they do. They, they climb trees and they're, they, they eat nuts and pecans and they they're furry and they have big fluffy tails. It's easy to recognize them, but that furry tail doesn't make them a squirrel, a fairy tale is a result of being a squirrel. As a Christian, we do not become Christians because we're obedient to the law, but as a Christian, we ought to be obedient to the law. And it ought to be as evident uh, in our lives. It ought to be as evident as it is for a squirrel to climb a tree it ought to be just as evident for Christians not to show favoritism. And so this morning, you ask yourself, especially in regard to the issue that James is talking about for us here, how do, how do I deal with that? As a Christian, can someone look at me and go, you know... They they really are pretty good at this. They don't they don't show favoritism. They're, they they uh, treat people equally and kindly and 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 as they should. James reminds us here uh, that one of the characteristics that should be obvious about us as Christians is that we don't show favoritism. So ask yourself, how am I doing with it? And. Uh, If you don't think that maybe you're doing as you should, you can ask the Lord to work with you in that regard, to make you be conformed more and more to His image, and more and more to the image of His Son. Now let's pray. Father, this morning we rejoice in knowing that we are children of Yours because... Well, because of the work that you have done for us. You called us from before the foundation of the earth. You chose us to be in Christ Jesus. You sent your Son to come and fulfill all of the law's demands for us. And then you clothed us with His righteousness. Lord, how foreign it would be for us as Christians not to live in accordance with the law that you have given I pray, Lord, this morning that as we have seen the, the need and the importance of uh, as as Christians to be ones who don't show uh, partiality or favoritism uh, to someone because of what we might think that they can do for us. Uh, Lord, help us to help us to be faithful in being kind and loving, and uh, without partiality in this regard. Pray that uh, others might be able to see it in us and that they might see that it reflects your character. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.